He's a legend of the graffiti scene. And his last solo exhibition in New York City was in 1988. Fast forward to 2020, and Leonard McGurr is back for his first solo show in his hometown after 32 years. If the name doesn't ring a bell, it's probably because he's better known as Futura. And his current show at the Eric Firestone Gallery is titled Futura 2000, which was his moniker before he dropped the date back in 1999. He doesn't do street work like he did before, so he prefers to call himself simply an artist nowadays. I invited him to the studio to discuss his journey from someone who's painted trains back in the 1970s to the life of a contemporary artist today. Well, you know, at the moment, I'm uh, in the midst of... uh just opening an exhibition in the city with uh, Eric Firestone Gallery on Great Jones. Actually, the address is 40 Great Jones. And so I've been doing that. And I've been preparing for that for the last, you know, two, three months. So fortunately, that's been done. And the opening was last week. It was awesome. Congratulations. You know, given the conditions, obviously, of the the moment, you know, it's uh, everything was a bit in in play and and not necessarily confirmed mm-hmm. but we were able to to pull the show off so you know we have a wonderful show at the moment all new work very excited about it because it's the first time i've actually had a show like a proper new york city show really in uh decades you know right. quarter quarter century yep um you know we're saying 30 years i think it's actually 32 years but just to say that you know that's it and uh you know, Wait, 32 years? For yeah, what? F- from a, what I would say is a real solo exhibition here in New How York. How does that happen? Yeah, it sounds crazy. It sounds it sounds really, I mean... But but you got to remember that, that at the end of the 80s, and I was speaking about my last real, you know, one-man show, which was, it, it, it was in 1998. Um, at, right after that, the whole thing was... The whole thing was dying anyway, you know, as far as the, the 80s. Right. And, and obviously now it's the end of the 80s and, you know. Uh, so that was 1988 was your last show? Correct. Got it. And where was that? That was a gallery called Philippe Briet Gallery, oh, which was down on, I believe it was Mercer. And unfortunately, Mr. Briet passed away a few years after that. But that show was very important in the sense that it it got me back into painting because by 85, I think... I had checked out of hmm. what was the most amazing decade, but for me was relatively short-lived, you know, because along the way with myself and my contemporaries, we had Basquiat, we had Herring, we had other artists from a kind of same, uh, not aesthetic, because they weren't really graffiti school guys, they were more young artists coming from school and educated but the emerging artists of the 80s and, and that whole movement we created, you know, uh, the graffiti artists couldn't survive necessarily. And even by 85, I felt like it was over for me. Mm-hmm. I had had a son at that time. My my son, Timothy, was born. Mm-hmm. And then it was a question of, well, like, this can't sustain me. You know, I can't be net 90s, <laughs> you know, <laughs> net half a year and never really getting paid, you know. So I just wound up working and supporting my family for a few years. 1988, a French dealer, Mr. Briet, popped up and 
and gave me my first show. Now, after all of that, the 90s arrived and he passed away. So mm -hmm. there's my dealers gone. Right. Yep. Uh, Herring's gone. Andy's gone. Jean-Michel's gone. You know, it's the 90s now, right? And, right. And things are quite different. And the art world wasn't really interested in graffiti anymore. And I get it. I, I sort of saw the the writing on the wall. No Literally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was coming. I mean, it was clear because it's kind of like Rudger Hauer in Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Or at least what, like, uh, Terrell or whoever the the manufacturer of, you know, like the brain of Blade Runner. Right. He says to him, the flame that burns twice as bright burns half as long. Right. So, and that's a great line, right? Yeah. And that was So some, you felt that. You well, felt it. You knew it. I knew it. Yeah. You know, and, and I said, like, because the power of the movement was so crazy, but it was, it flamed out. So this is, this is a great opportunity to dig a little into that, because I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, like, what was that? Like, so did, was it in 78 all of a sudden with, like, Fashion Moda, Fun Gallery, all these other places, like, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, is that where the, where the, maybe the, I don't know, the spark, the spark yes, started? Yeah. Well, it had previously been lit, you know, they tried to light that spark or, or ignite that spark. Right. In the mid-74, uh, 75 realm with yep. United Graffiti Art, UGA, and Hugo and all the, you know, heroes of our culture uh, at that time, the, you know, the 70s superstars. But it was too early, you know. Right. I mean, and yeah, they did interventions on, 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 like, Lincoln Center. They had an exhibition in Soho, which no one from Uptown even knew what Soho was. <laughs> but just to say that they were getting a foot into the quote-unquote art world, even though it was on the fringes. And right. it was also what we would later find out to be alternative galleries, right. not your, you know, proper blue chip or right. whatever that is. Which is why fashion happened, which is why fun happened, and all the spin-off alternative spaces happened. But yeah, by 78, there was a, and it's funny because 70, you know, I started writing in 1970 when I was 15. That's when I, you know, realized like, oh, wow, this is a kind of a thing. I'm seeing a lot of repetition and Taki 183, like, what, what's that? And who's Joe Warren 36? And who's, who's Snake One? And, you know, who's Phase Two? Who stay high? One forty nine. Wow, what a cool! Wow, look, he took the stick figure from the TV show The Saints. Like that's right. like Simon Templer, you know. Like so, all the, you know before Roger Moore became James Bond. So the references for me were all very telling and very like late sixties into what would be our our culture. But seventy four to seventy eight, I went. In the, I was in the Navy for four years. So uh -huh. that's kind of the difference between me and I think the rest of the crew. Mm -hmm is that I had a kind of a hiatus hmm. from the whole story yep. in its infancy. And by 78 into now 79, my God, how many, you know, basically subway art is a, you know, photo document, photo pictorial of the golden era. Right. And so you see all the Dondies and the Lees and the scenes and the, and the Zephs and, you know, I mean, everyone who was kind of killing it in the 70s. But now by the 78, 79, people were beginning to get older. Yep. And these possibilities of alternative things were, were happening again. I'd be remiss to not mention, uh, in I think 77, there was a thing called Noga, which was mm. Nation of Graffiti Artists. That was another second coming of UGA. Like, oh, uh -huh. here's another organized group, you know, some, right. some gentleman, uh, not with privilege, but... With sympathy, you know, empathy. And privilege. And, and, and some privilege, <laughs> because they could provide 
these individuals. It's all right. Um, we can call her for what it is. It's well, fine. That doesn't necessarily privilege doesn't know, we, always mean people we, don't do the right thing with it. Absolutely. Right? And, you know? and I think in our time, the people who were supportive of us, who did have that privilege, we appreciate it because they were supportive. Right. You know, and at the same time, there were people later in the early 80s when the, the kind of fashion and marketability of, oh, hey, there are the kids. Oh, look, they'll come spray up your, your thing, you know, for kind of cheap. But I would hear stories like, well, they charge the client 1200 bucks, and they passed a couple hundred. You know, it was, right. it was never legit. You right, know? So, totally. I mean, when no money was on the table, everything was amazing. <laughs> People were being generous and buying you lunch. And, but once the sale of stuff started to happen, we, you know, we were kind of left out of the, the economics of it. But, Story of life, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So now, okay, so now... This is so. Do you remember the first time you saw graffiti on the wall? You mentioned Taki One Eighty Two and all these others. Like, do you remember the first 183. time? One Eighty Three. Oh, I'm sorry, One Eighty Three. Ah, may made a no, may, no, it's okay. my bad. But um, so, do you remember the first time kind of being sort of stopped in your tracks by it? Yeah, I I do. As far as the writing on the wall again, but it wasn't it wasn't like traditional graph. It was uh, this person who used to go around scratching phone booths and mailboxes with religious messaging, which was read the Bible, go to church, Jesus uh, saves. So the first- Jesus saves, yeah. is it the Jesus well, no, saves? No, no, it wasn't it, the it, same person. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> That's a whole subgenre of graffiti. Or or yes, them, exactly. or them, right? Or them, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so, but I understood like, wow, you know, this is, I mean, to me, I associate graffiti with a bathroom stall, right? right? That, that's yeah. really the origins of graffiti. You know, right. in, your, in your school, in your stall, someone, you know, using foul language, talking about somebody's mother. Right, uh, right. Then it becomes a more personalized thing where people like a Taki, like a Joe, like a snake. No, I'm, I'm gonna identify myself. I'm the first, I live on this street, I'm the third, second, fourth, you know, phase with Roman numerals. You know, I mean, everybody was, which is why when I came up with Futura 2000 in 1970, you came up with that that early. Oh, sure. Okay. That, that's my that's my that was a very that's original. my entrance into. I was going to ask that too. I wasn't yeah, sure yeah. if there was another name before that one. No, no, no. There's the Future 2000 tag with the elaborate arrows, and yep. you know, it, it, it's very aspirational because if you look at it, it's all going up, right? It's all kind right. of going somewhere, taking off, maybe. Yep. Which would be um, kind of ironic to the fact that I wound up working on aircraft carriers with jet planes taking off of the flight deck. So, but but the whole initial thing, and once again, at this point in my life, I realized like, I kind of had nothing to do with any of it. Mm. It was all, this is all me just waiting to roll out and happen. Although in 1970, which is 50 years ago, that sounds nuts, um, future 2000, I wasn't gonna live to be 45. Mm. You know, it, it was just a cool number, very influenced by 2001. I've said right. that a, a thousand times. Yep. You know, Kubrick made me as far as giving me this vision of this future space travel. I mean, come on, man on the moon. Like I was locked to my TV in 69 when that happened. And and right after it happened or while that was happening, my mother's in the back saying, baby, this is being shot on a soundstage in California. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too crazy about it. You know, so <laughs> that's the kind of thing I kind of had to grow up with. Mom's when, giving you a reality check. Well, ever since they shot Kennedy, it was like clear right nothing is real you right, know it's, right, it's, right. It's, it's it's all a farce so that's kind of weird also and i'm an only child and i think that helped my imagination a lot and because i did i say today you know i have like five people 
You're talking about multi-person personality? Not to a point where it's a problem, <laughs> but a recognition that there's a lot of people here. You know, there might be a trans up there now. There might be a... You know, there's like all kinds of people, right? Right. And they've all got opinions. And I've always looked at it like that's the world at large hitting me up from all sides with all types of ideas and you should do this and don't do that. And, you know, and in the end, whether it's the classic good guy, bad guy, you know, the devil and the, and, and the angel... Well, why should I be limited to right. just two voices, right? You're, you contain multitudes. Exactly. And, and I embrace that. You know, and so, so who's so, in the room with me now, Leonard? Uh, well, now we're just, well, there's someone there just saying, like, just get the facts right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this is not a pressure situation here. Right, and, you know, right, so right, right. It's not like a task or something. But because um, if there's a task, there's a few ways to do the task. Right? Sure. You know, luckily, I can just talk, which I'm. I've been, I've been doing that for a while, but that's awesome. But no, it's it, it it is great to relate stories and you know emotions from the period. And even when I mentioned like a '78 or whatever, strangely enough, like a smell comes up, you mm -hmm. know, a song I'll remember that's playing in the background or something. And so I think I'm very sensory as a person, mm -hmm. anyway, you know, and I'm super absorbent, and I'm also like. Uh, you know, despite whatever my own story is, which has been awesome and it's like a blessing, I feel also grateful that I've been able to, knock on wood, not just survive, but be a witness to this whole thing in a way, you know, like my own point of view, my own perspective. I love that. You know, Absolutely. and I, I appreciate also just being a witness to it all. And, in it, and ultimately, it's, it is history now. You know, we created history. Now, in the late 90s when it was fading, or, or I'm sorry, we didn't get that far, but the late 80s and, and my show and, and subsequent to that in the 90s, everything changed. It was going to become a more uh, clinical thing in the sense that galleries were no longer available. Hey, why don't we make t-shirts? And that's when the evolution of what we were doing in a gallery or in a studio practice became more like, oh, I have a 386 PC computer. Pre predating Apple's arrival. And then ultimately by the mid 90s, everything was computing and graphics and not painting because once again, there was no, the market for artwork only existed in Europe. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, well, they were the ones who right. made They were us. supporting, yeah, exactly. And, and even once the cat was out of the bag with the books and the Star Wars and you know, all the culture had been released to the world, well, fortunately, and thanks everyone, that 35 years ago, if you will, you know, 1985, let's say, by the time these books and films were available for consumption, well, all these European kids and everyone who got access to it, they just started bombing. Right. You know? And, so you're and, talking about like a lot of the books and films that came up around that downtown scene with yeah, the graffiti the, the scene. Yeah, the early 80s. The early 80s. That helped create sort of interest in Europe. Without and question. Without, and so when, when the interest in the U.S. dried up, and hmm. it dried up very fast in the early 90s. Is, it did. Is it that did. correct? Yep. Yeah. I mean, like I said, by the end of the 80s, it had dried up. You know, oh, and, wow. So even the end of the 80s. Yeah. Even when I came back with the exhibition we started the conversation with yeah. in 88, that was just me. It's not like, um, you know, this is like one dealer looking at me and saying, oh, but Lenny, what happened? You were such a great painter, you know, early in the decade. and why don't you have a gallery? And, you know, and I try to explain to him, well, you know, no one's really interested. And it's, right. it's, it's great that you're showing interest. And the wonderful thing about Philippe, and once again, rest in peace, he, he died a few years later. 
he was actually murdered. <laughs> it's mm. very sad. Jeez. But um, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I was like a. Uh, one of those like love thing, you know, like uh, love something. triangle type. Nah, things. not even a triangle. Just, just two uh, guys, and something got crazy in the room, and you know, some lover just yeah. Someone got asphyxiated, yeah. maybe, maybe. Uh, got you it. know, something like that. Gotcha. Okay, you can gotcha. draw your own conclusions. <laughs> um, but uh-huh. just to say, when Philippe, prior to Philippe's passing, he was so supportive of me that he put me in touch with. Or he was French, by the way, uh, Philippe Brie, bien sûr. He's French, and he introduced me to Agnès B. And so Agnes mm. B, the clothier and world yeah. famous, uh, I call her a kind of, um, she's, she's like the queen patron, mm. at least for the sub street art level graph community. She's always been in. And so she saw my work in the early, uh, early days of that exhibition. She came to the opening and she wound up liking my work and providing me with a studio which I wound up actually having for 20 years. Now, wow. she, w- she was supporting only in the um, upstart. She said, hey, you know what? You should be working. You know, I said, well, why aren't you working? And I said, well, I don't have a studio. And she said, well, you need to have it. You know, like all artists need an atelier. Yeah, in theory, that sounds great. But I can't afford one. She's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. So this was 88. Uh, she basically financed for me a studio on Morgan Avenue in... Um, oh, wow. Between, uh, actually, right where my old studio was on Metropolitan, but it's between Metro and Grand Street on Morgan, 274 Morgan. Beautiful oh, building, yeah. been there forever. So 40 years ago, uh, I was living in that building. This is actually in 1980, I was living in that building. And then after that, I got a studio there that Agnes helped pay for. And it was 500 a month which means 6K a year, which means she spent 12K for two years in advance for me. So talk about a patron, right? That's, and, and that's even so in kind. The, even in the heyday yeah. of the 80s, even when everything I'd learned in the, in, in the, you know, the previous eight years, no one ever stepped to us like that. Like, to think of the artist as an individual who needs the space to work and provide that for them. And then what she said was, at the end of the first year, she was so sweet, she's like, can you please offer me the first right of refusal on the new work? I'm like, what, what are you joking? It's like, you don't have to wait a year. You can come in the next few months. I'll, <laughs> I'll have a ton of stuff and you can really choose. So she just took the value. You know, she said, okay, well, uh, God bless her. So uh, I guess I sold one painting in exchange for six, 6K, right? So, yeah. so at the end of the first year, she actually took two paintings. She's like, okay, I'm good. Just keep working. You know, and then wow. and then we've had a relationship ever since, and she wrote a foreword in my new book as well. So that's amazing. You know, 40, 30 years easily. That's a later, patron. That's big, a patron. Big time, right big time. there. And and I've always loved her for that. And and I'm not, you know, it's it's like uh, Jake from State Farm. You know, he's not just hooking up one; he's hooking up everyone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so she's not just doing it for me, and because she's done it for for many artists, and one specifically, my friend Tony Clark. His name is A One. He passed away. But he oh, was yeah. he was living in, he was living yeah. in Paris at the time, and a lot of the artists from New York, even from the origins of the '80s, you know, uh, kind of that celebratory era, all expatriated to to Europe anyway. You know, right. people were quick was living in uh, Holland and Toxic and Phase Two and and Sharp had been to Italy and Core was in Belgium and people were in Paris. You know, because once again, the Europeans, certainly the Dutch. The the French and the French. I mean, you look at the French now as far as graffiti goes. Like they're like, kind right. of at the top of not just support but seemingly endless events and festivals. And you know, so they, they they've taken it on as part of the culture. And it's funny fully, because it's yeah. in their institutions and in their galleries and brick and mortars. 
but it's also heavily on the street. Yeah, you know, that's and, right. And even here in New York now, I've remarked doing obviously, you know, this this horrible time we're in with police officers, you know, having other problems. There is so much graffiti going on in New York. I've right noticed now. so it much. Is crazy. It like, is. But you know what I love about it, right? Like, okay, so it's just young angst, whatever, you know, kids yeah. getting up, knowing that they can, you know, it's sort of like it's a free pass, right? <laughs> and they're they're killing it. But what's also happening is what happened 40, 50, and probably 50 years from now is that some other kids who don't like those kids who are just doing throw-ups. Like, I, I love to see throw-ups on top. Like, okay, well, I don't love, but let's say someone just did a mural. And then some other kid from the, from the neighbor is like, fuck that. Like, you know, here's my throw-up on top of their work because I disrespect their work. And then here comes another guy with just one line, red, black, white, silver can over his work. That's right. So there's like layers of over and over and over, and I just think that's super cool because that's basically the, that's the street talking right there. You know, and it's probably what got you into it initially, well, partly, no? And, and, well, and, well, you know, actually back then, and if you can believe it, we had respect for each other, you know, <laughs> uh, un, until someone That's so like, traditional. Until someone, I know, right? <laughs> We're so old fashioned. Um, until Cap came along, because see, Cap yeah. is the famous artist from the '80s who took the position then. Like, I don't, I don't have style, and I don't care about this whole thing. What I like doing is going over everybody's stuff, and I'm gonna make a name for myself <laughs> being that guy. So, in every, in every, you know, kind of chapter of our, of our you know, history, there's a Cap type individual right. who has no respect, who probably has no talent. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just looking to get noticed. You know, it's a, it's, now, it's now they always call them. What do they call them? Toys or whatever. Well, uh, you, once you know, they they haven't changed that name. It's still a toy. And and yeah, you would think, wow, that's that's not only like not only is he or she a toy, depending on who did it, but that's toy. Right, you know, toy is right. an adjective. Toy is you know a yeah. verb. It's it's whatever you want it to be. But yeah, I mean. And to me, that's the kind of beauty. Like when I did my wall on Houston with the Goldman Project a couple of years ago, you know, the annual yep. or, or not annual, but the quarterly, right. you know, roll out the walls for the for the city. And that's that, at Lafayette and Houston for those people. Correct. Who don't uh, know. Uh, Bowery. Bowery, I'm sorry. Correct. Right. Bowery, Bowery and Houston. Right. Um, but the whole thing about that wall is that wall has been here since Keith painted it back in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a very traditional and historic wall. Now, unfortunately, you know, against Miami standards or, or really like a lot of cities around the world, New York, with the exception of like, I don't know, there's something in Bushwick over there that's a little bit of a... Bushwick Collective art Walls. Area. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Not really. Sorry, yeah. guys. No. Yeah, and, and like, this, this is my hometown, but that's not, that's not it. <laughs> but this is New York, you know, and I get it. You know, I get where like, first of all, we don't really have space available for right. that kind of sprawling Wynwood idea. That's right. Or my that, that hasn't been monetized already. No, exactly. <laughs> which, which, you know, look out next quarter century, it's coming. That's right, right, exactly. But the thing is, like, short of a Miami, I would say my most favorite place in the world for something like that is Melbourne. Have you ever been to Melbourne? I haven't yet, Oh, my God. No. Shout out to Melbourne. I know, they have a really active uh, street you guys, scene. You guys yeah. know you're kind of the shit. And it's also the architecture. It's all these, like, low-hanging yep. buildings. Yeah, everything's, like, two, three stories. That's it. Right. And so the walls and everything, they just lend themselves and they got little back alleyways and stuff. A little bit like Toronto. Yeah, yep. a, little, a little, like, T-Dot-ish. Yep. going on that's where i grew up are you serious yeah oh wow yeah so something like that but but not exactly Toronto. well they're colonial towns you know they British are colonial that's much more human scaled absolutely yeah, yeah. like then you know they were thinking 
You know, I, I don't know. Quality of life was the yeah, thing, too. It's different. You know, like, let's not just throw skyscrapers up. But Totally. Uh, okay, so yes. now let's go forward a little, because I want to talk about your work and your show, too. Can we? Yes, yeah, please. Okay. I, I mean, part of the reason I'm setting this up is so stylistically and where your references come from. That's what I want to kind of get at, right? Sure. Because I think one of the things, so we'll go back to a little bit of that history from the late 80s, 90s, because we haven't finished that. But I want to talk a little bit about the work. Yes. So... You're, the thing that's kind of characteristic about your work, I think, from other artists that maybe have started started with graffiti and sort of evolved from there, is you have a much more ambient quality to your work. Do you know, it isn't necessarily specifically about a certain type of, like, one line, or mm. it isn't about a word, or it isn't about, like, a certain, like, trick or something. You seem to have this atmospheric, almost sci-fi quality mm. to your work. Yes, now, where's that coming from? We already talked about 2001. Yep. We talked about your name and the way it sort of started. But it feels like, I mean, part of them also feels like Sam Francis, right? It feels like all over abstract painting. It feels like a lot of things. So I'd love to get a little bit of where those um, influences are from. Of course. Well, before I ever heard of Sam Francis or the abstractionists or my first references to my work was... Uh, oh, it looks like Kandinsky, or right. there's a Russian constructivist thing you're doing with these shapes combined with these color blocks. And and so I think early on when I was stabbing in the dark at trying to find my way, i.e. like really 1980, you know, the, my breakout year of making some work that was less graffiti-based and more had some abstract qualities to it, I must say a lot of it was mindless, you know, a lot of it didn't come with like, look, ooh, look at that, oh, I'm gonna do that. Because I was still not very educated about fine art, right? I was still part of the graph community where I was really a tagger. I mean, I I was never very good with spray paint. Um, and and though, um, you know, I, I mean, I was hanging out with everybody who was, you know, it's one thing to watch someone, it's another thing to actually pick up the can and be able to do anything with it. So I struggled at first trying to spray paint, and then I realized, like, you know, why am I going to do what everyone else does? You know, let me just try to do something different. So my arrival to my abstract thing, you know, the nature of my work, the atmospheric quality of, of what I do, and my spaciness, yeah, it it honestly stems from one, wanting to do something different within the realm of whatever. You know, like, when a graffiti artist does his or her piece, they, they do the outline and then they worry about the background and the background gets blended and they, they, they blend a purple and a red and a yellow. And, and to me, that was always more interesting than someone's R or the drop shadow that they put on, on, a, on, a, on a B. I was like, the colors are really like, and, and, and honestly, during the transition from graffiti to the gallery or any other subsystem, uh, alternative space with somebody's bedroom, it's not, it's not graffiti anymore. You know, it, it has to. It it can be called graffiti, but but if it's not done illegally in the public space, it's actually not. So, so what do you call it? I just call it. You know, I'm just I'm just work. I'm just painting. You know, I'm just painting, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't I don't necessarily give it a name or, or or a definition or like I put myself into or I'm into this category. But just to get back to the abstract nature, I think it it really does stem from the name. You know, I, I I think the name was very powerful in giving me a direction because once. I decided I was Future of 2000. And I almost said to myself, well, my work's got to reflect that a little bit. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I have to embrace, you know, and then once I started getting good at the blending of colors and this spacey, you know, atmospheric stuff that I do, I was like, well, bing, you know, that's perfect. You know, this yeah. is, this is, 
like my little island and and you know like early days even people rejected that right they're like that's not graffiti and i was like bingo you know that's the idea i'm trying to transition out of this guys and plus by 1980, I was 24, mm-hmm. right? And most of my peers were five years, seven years younger than me. You know, the community was very young, you know, 17 to 25, maybe that's the demographic there. And so I was like, well, I, I have to evolve. Now, unfortunately, like I said, I couldn't see the, the writing on the wall yet. But by 83, 84, 85, I was like, nah, you know what? This isn't going to sustain itself. And, and that's why. Really? That early? Yeah, because. Why? Only because, like I said, we, it was it was being overloaded. You know what I mean? It was a question of overexposure. Got it. Because I mean, I was thinking like you know, MTV was then like things were blowing up even bigger. Well, but, the, you were, but you already sensed it. The scene was blowing up, but the and once again, I'm being specific to like Got people it. like me, Fred, Lee, Dondi, uh, Ramel. You know, all the core people. Once again, not the Basquiat's, Sharps, Herrings, and and other players who were just simply artists of the '80s. Who were dabbling into who graffiti. were dabbling into graffiti, but just as a kind of form of uh, I think the rebel expression that had been going around. But like when Jean was doing stuff that people were like, "Oh, you know, my my kid could do that, or you know, my sister could draw that," and it was like, you know, but yeah, no, man, because he's referencing like Pink and Twombly. You know, he already right. knows what he's doing. Right. You know, when I was doing my abstract stuff. I initially got insulted that somebody was referencing me to someone that I'd never heard of. I said, well, that's, that's not fair. Oh, you're the Watteau of this, and you're the blah, blah of that. I'm like, well, what does that mean? So, so you pushed that away. I did push it away, but I also was arrogant enough at the time to say, yeah, you're making this uh, association, and, and you know, this is what you think now, but maybe 25 years from now, people will be referencing someone else's art to mine. Right. And that actually wound up happening. So in a way, I feel good. But now, back to the new body of work and the abstract yep. body I'm representing right now, which is all that what you said. It's all over the place, but the beauty, I think, of the new show... Well, it's atmospheric. I don't know. Uh, all over, like, all, all over painting. I don't know if I'd call sure. it all over the place. Well, it's all over the place, if only in the sense of, like, I consider myself the second coming of Pollock and... In that, like, I'm really the action painter, okay? I mean, this this gentleman stood over some large pieces with mops and, 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 and drippy paint, and, you know, he's... I mean, I've seen people do that shit on a string now. Right. Right? You know what I'm saying? They just throw something on a string and let that roll over. So, to me, yeah, it's exciting and whatever, but it's, it's also... It's too random, Got right? It. It's just too damn random. In a sense that what I'm trying to do is, and, and I have to move. I can't paint without moving. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing about aerosol, I- I- at least as a spray painter. You know, whether you're doing large murals, or, you know, you're like a L. Mac, or, you know, uh, even Shepard. And, you know, I mean, whoever's doing Pantone, whoever's doing big production, now a lot of these people are working with assistance and support and masking and prepping. You know, I just get in front of my medium and I just start painting and I just mm-hmm. start moving around and... For me, it's always a question of filling in negative space. Right. right? I mean, that, that's, the, uh, that's the idea at the beginning of a blank page. Like, okay, I got this blank page. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to just do something like full bleed? Am I going to do something super minimal on the bottom right and then offset that with something up there? You know, it's always a compositional dance. True. Though you also have a good, because I feel like people who do that often, there's like sort of a, one thing that you do that I really appreciate is it definitely has a feeling that it goes beyond the edge. Yes, it does. Do you know? Well, that's the movement aspect, right? Because right. if I'm doing the 
Adam motif, right? Yep. Which is like my, my main symbol, um, which is birthed out of my youth when the 60s was all about me hiding under a desk because there's an atomic bomb, you know, drill. And that symbol, the the mm. nuclear symbol right. and, and the fallout shelters and all. So that was a big thing for me as a kid, as was the World's Fair in 64, 65 here in New York. Got it. When I was like uh, 9, 10 years old. You know, very, you know, like uh, the wonder years of my sponge, you know, my, my sponge capacity in, in so much as I learned a lot, I feel, that year about the planet, which mm. I had been, you know, kind of like... You know, I mean, you know what you know about geography, but then you go to the World's Fair and you walk into a, the Japanese pavilion, and women are dressed in kimono dresses right. and they're serving what sushi. And there's no internet to look it up. No, you know. I mean, you know, and that's a wonderful time too. This old school I come from, and you know, a lot of a lot of old timers do. But I still love going to museums and libraries as references. So what I love about the two references you just. Uh, brought up is they Watteau? kind of represent no no not the Watteau I'm okay. talking about the the atomic shelter yes and the World's Fair mm. what I love about those two is it captures a little bit about your symbolism mm. by which I mean like the the nuclear self shelter yes. has this kind of pessimism right this futuristic pessimism yes and then of course the World's Fair is the opposite Absolutely. it has this total optimism yes but your work seems to incorporate both those I mean I feel it mm. right like because mm. there's like a darkness as well as a light sure that you play with in your, your colors the forms the the atmospheric effects even in in sort of like the different sort of more sculptural things mm -hmm. it's like so are you conscious of those binaries? Are you conscious of like, I mean, is this because there is definitely a future looking aspect we talk about already, mm -hmm. this kind of atmospheric sci-fi kind of world. Yeah. But it isn't all roses. Well, no, because I think sometime, you know, what I like to do is, is respect to composition and having a kind of a balance in what I'm doing, right? Because I'm totally capable of doing the like the dark, heavy, like, whoa, you went off. And yeah, if I'm in a moment, because once again, like making art is all about the moment you're in, you know, and, and, and the conscious effort you say, okay, well, like, I'm going to attempt to try to do something like this now. But all those things are subject to emotions and things that are actually outside of your control as a creative in that, well, once again, you know, what is, you know hey, future, what inspires you? Who inspires you? Well, I'm very much inspired by my own life that I'm living and how can I constantly do something you know I'm, a, I'm always also trying to like just do better you know right. what i mean i i always want to try to do better sure and and maybe i get into this thing and say oh yeah well, let me just make a little set over here but then once i do that and if i'm happy with it i'm like okay well i've made my statement about the the dark heaviness of that and the colors i use and it's like well that's really that's heavy lenny but then i want to offset that somehow and then maybe i don't want to do either one maybe i want to draw you know or maybe i don't want to do any of those things and i want to leave the identity of the artist known as Futura, and I just want to be Lenny, and I just want to do what Lenny wants to do, which has nothing to do with any of the, the, the sort of output stuff, you right. know, because I also learned by now, you know, and I'm going to be 65 next month, that I'm not, I'm not locked into this body and uh, the individual that, 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 I, that is celebrated, right. you know, because at a certain point, even for me, it gets old, right. and it's, you know, I, I can tell you, it's boring, because... If I were the kind of person at this point in my life that needed to constantly reaffirm that by, hey, I'm Futura, hey, hey, look at me, look what I, 
God, I, I feel sorry for me. You know, yeah. get, so I try to really be conscious of that, and and I, you know, I don't want to live in some place where I feel like I'm, like I said, I'm blessed, man, beyond compare. You know, I've got two amazing kids. I have love in my life. I have team around me right now that's helping me rise up, actually. Um, and I'm so grateful that, well, one, I've been super patient. Yep. Right. Because there's other things to do rather than care about me. Mm -hmm. Right. And those things require, you know, much more thought. It's not just like, oh, hey, give me a can. Let me. No, you know, I have a lot of fun when I paint, and that's why I'm super excited about the new show because I, you know, I can honestly tell you, like, I've done things and I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, that was not amazing. You know, mm. like, you just kind of, not like you just mailed it in. No, I but, get it. But you mailed it We're in. We're our worst critics. You really are. And I'm, I'm terrible. So, so when you see that early work, mm, what do you think now? Because, you know, an artist looking at their I early think work. yikes. <laughs> okay, but, but, no, I say yikes. I think all artists say that. I say I'm yikes, be but yeah. then I'm like, oh, wow, you know, WTF. Because yeah. some of the pieces are, are, like, insane. So I wonder, like, not, like, what was I smoking? But I'm like, <laughs> man, you know, like, what was I going through then? Like I said before, it's, right. it's all about where you're at, right? right? And, like, so where was my head at that I was making these, like, crazy, you know, I was making paintings that look like the the mechanisms of, for, like, clocks and things. Like, all kinds of crazy stuff happening in, like, the lines and the, the details. And, the, you know, now I look at it now and I'm, like, trying too hard. Right? Like, that's how I critique the old works. Like, wow, trying way too hard. Like, you, th you talk about tricks. You said yeah. the word tricks, right? Like, you threw every trick into that That's one, right. right. That's so, right. And, and, well, and young artists tend to do that. They absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. And then that's why, like, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm critical, but I'm not hating, right? And Got then it. I, you know, and, and of course, I wish I could have said something to that young man and been like, hey, you know what? Like, because knowing, you know, a, a, as the abstract, spontaneous spray painter artist, it's difficult sometimes to know when to say when, right? You right. know, it's it's not like the fires or, or you know, uh, the soup is boiling over the pot. And, you know, it's, it's obvious, like, hey, man, it's good. So I think sometimes I don't know when to stop. and But I'm fine, you know, because yeah. I, you know, the, there's always, like I said, it's not just about trying to be a better person and do better, but there's always better work ahead. And that's what the new show <laughs> made me realize. Like I looked at the gal, you know, you see the show in the studio, you're working, things are on the floor, I, I work on the floor, you know, everything looks great. You put it up on the wall, oh wow, it looks different. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's just like standing up. But then when you actually get it into a space and you hang it on the wall, like wow, okay, now here you go. Like right. there's the placeholder, like that wall was the placeholder for that. And suddenly everything begins to look a little bit nicer and better. And yeah, you know, I was like, damn, man, this is really a good show, you know. And and then when my, you know, the critics I really care about, which are, you know, all my people here in New York who are fortunate, actually, because it's not just Lenny hasn't had a show in 30 years, you know, because, yes, I've, I've had some group events and there's pieces here and I painted this and that and everyone's seen my work. But on a degree where there's 20 or more paintings that people can actually stand in front of, not Alone. swipe Right. You know, and, and all you're getting is a clinical digital image. Like, wow, well, you, you have no idea what the painting looks like. That's right. You know, so to offer finally an exhibition I feel of such quality uh, here at home, you know, gives me a lot of joy. And then I've seen all the Lees and the Causes and the Hazes and the Jose's and like, you know, Stash and like all my people, uh, Bast, Buff Monster, you know, like mad writers from the city who are all here, who all came out and a lot of which said like, wow, damn, this is kind of some really good stuff. So, 
you know, I, I don't approach things with an arrogance or any kind of thing. But but even me, I had to admit, like, this is pretty good, Lenny. You know, that's like, awesome. And, I love and, that. And I so, love that. And, and like I say, sometimes I'm skeptical, and I'll That's be good. I'll be dead straight with well, myself. Well, people will see the show and they'll, you know? they'll they'll know it. Okay, so let's go back a little bit so we can get context. So from those early years, it sounds like that some of those I love that binary to kind of give people a sense of the two worlds, this mm. sort of futuristic world you're coming from. So now the '80s by '84, '85, you realize something was up. This isn't going to last forever. Well, let me just jump in there. '85, yeah, sure. I got a review from a show I did at Semaphore Gallery on West Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I got destroyed. In the review? In the review. Okay. You know, art news, classic, you know. And it was just, and, and, and that really made me feel like, well, yeah, this whole thing is over. You know, certainly for me. Was it nasty, It, the it was just mean. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, like, I, I used to remember the writer's name because I, I hold grudges. But I... I <laughs> Yeah, who cares? I've the writer doesn't I've matter. Conveniently it doesn't matter. Forgotten, yeah, it right? doesn't matter. So now I'm. I'd love to talk a little bit about that because you know I started writing about graffiti and street art probably at the beginning of the aughts and sort of uh, so only the last twenty years, even though I've always seen it and stuff before. Sure. And I was always so shocked how much animosity the more conventional art world had towards street art and graffiti writers. In general, like anybody who came from that world. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm the... Number, it was, it know, was worse like, in the 80s, I'm guessing. I'm like uh, public enemy number one then at, at that point. Because, yeah, I just sense that they, you know, I, I feel like the art world needs to be... Though, to be fair, we're in the art world now, so it's not like we can't talk about it in the present. Maybe in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, 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 certainly in the past. And, but, 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 but also now... But still now, partly, yeah. Okay. What I was going to say is the art world needs to be... Not respected, but you need to show them that you're paying your respect to the history of what all of it is. And that's why I feel like, you know, Keith coming in with all of this knowledge about pop art mm -hmm. and who Andy was and how he was trying to emerge as this sort of like new version yep. of Andy, right? Yep. And what I was saying before about Jean-Michel, knowing about Pink, knowing about Twombly, knowing that he can show contemporary galleries Look at what I'm doing and look at my references. Not just like African masks and, and right. you know, those type of things that have been stolen that Jean was like, well, we need, you know, I need to get this back. You know, uh, like people, have, and if you think of Jean, I mean, he's really the first person of color right. to break through. At, um, at that level, absolutely. At that level, yeah. like, come on, it's nuts. Absolutely. Right? So, so but, what is it like now seeing Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat like sort of like The being, foundational right? uh, turnout? Yeah. Well, um, it shows you what the legacy of a dead artist is, right? <laughs> and it shows you that, and it's something I'm prepping for now, too, because, you know, there is going to be a legacy. Right. I do have the kids and the love. Yep. You know, there, there are people that are going to have to live 100 years from now. Right. So you could see the templates being set. And not for nothing, if the venues happen to be um, museum gift shops around the world, that's not a bad... Not at all. That's not a bad venue. You know, who knows? In the future, maybe museums will all be will all just be gift shops. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think Banksy figured that out. Um, but it's just to say that no, I mean, you know, I I feel weird, you know, sometimes because, you know, you just think, well, I mean, I guess that's all that can occur, you know, which is why I, I encourage people, or I have been encouraging people the last few years, like, 
you know, raise my hand, you know, um, you know, like I, I'm still, I'm still around. Right. So just to say that, you know, and I'll knock on wood again, I, I'm good for another 25, 30, you know, yeah, I, I'm, totally. I, I might break a hundred. I have no doubt. Totally. So I'm around, right? So, so now when you see their work now though, and maybe other the contemporaries from that period being shown now, mm. what do you think people don't get? Do you know, like, what do you think? Because I think art changes, you know, in different periods and how people see it. What do you think people are looking at now that you, you wish you could tell them? Well, I wish I could, you know, for example, when uh, the MFA show in Boston right now, for example, the Jean-Michel exhibition featuring his friends and, and other, you know, right. individuals. Hip-hop generation. Hip-hop show, generation, yeah. exactly. Yep. So, you know, and I'm lucky enough to be included in that because at the same time, Jean was my friend. You know, back right. in the early 80s, the first like one, two, three, four of it all, we were all a kind of, um, a un you know, there was a union that existed amongst us all because there were shows all the time and everybody was working, you know, within reach and you could always go to someone's studio and somebody's doing something, whether it's illegally or legally. You know, I remember going with Keith down in the subway station, and, like watching out as he was scribbling on the on the advertising spaces. You know, you're just like a, a lookout. Yeah. First of all, you know, I think about Jean. I mean, I think about both of those individuals, Keith and Jean, and I knew Andy, you know, as well. But I mean, you know, Keith and Jean were my more contemporaries. And you know, you think about it, man. Guys were only around for ten years. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a Sandy Koufax kind of thing, right? Where it's like you're the greatest thing that ever lived, but your your career was so short. And it's not even from, uh, you know, Sandy's had some other issues, you know, uh, health or whatever, injury. But, I mean, these people are gone, you know. And so I think what people need to realize is, like, the power of what they did in a very short period of time. And if anything, that could inform them that it's never a bad time to get to work, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it maybe that, that could be inspiring to young viewers, you know, whether it's a museum show or some sort of group exhibition or even the, the show right now in Boston where people are looking at, because there's a room of Jean's work mm -hmm. in the exhibition, which is primarily everything he did for everyone else in the show, like his portrait of Ram and some drawings he did of myself and Freddie and Lee and, and Lady Pink and, and Keith. And so the show's very inclusive, not just in the others, but in his own work, but just to say when you see Keith's work, and it's probably equally as easy to see Keith's stuff as it is Jean's. Um, think about the, the uh, not the longevity, but, but the, you know, the, the short-jevity, right, of, of their timeline on, on, on Earth and what they were able to accomplish in such a short period of time. So young artists today who are frustrated by the moment, they can't do this, nobody's supporting, Hey, pump the brakes, keep working. And I always, so I always encourage people, young people, just don't let the outside noise get to you. You know what I mean? If, if you're totally. feeling what you're doing, you, it's also incumbent upon you to put in the work too. You That's know what right. I mean? Like, and, and, and hopefully through that work and, and dedication to what you're doing and your belief in who you are, you'll see it through it and you know, things will turn. So in Through the 90s, how did you support yourself? I know you definitely worked on some collabs with fashion and others. I did. And that, did that help sustain you through the 90s? It did. I mean, I'll I, I tell you, I was struggling through the first five years, maybe, even mm -hmm. in the 90s, because now I got two children, right? Oh, I have right. a, by, by 1995, I got a five-year-old and I got an 11-year-old. So, but, but, you know, I'm Johnny on the spot. I'm like working a few jobs. I'm hustling. I may have been doing some you know, not completely legitimate stuff. Um, but you know okay. what? I just had to get I just had to get through time and space. Right. 
Got to pay the bills. Gotta, it's New York. <laughs> got to do it. And, you know, like I've always been, you know, I'm, I'm from New York, of course, you know, and I have no, you know, I, I, I've never kind of hated the hustle. You know what I mean? And I have no trouble getting up in the morning and, and, and going and doing something, you know. So where'd you grow up? What neighborhood? 103rd and Broadway. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so that's changed. <laughs> oh, my God. But you know what? It's changed. But I go up there and everything looks so small. I guess that's kind of, you know, how it is as a child. You know, you grow up in the neighborhood. Like, I grew up there now. It's like, these buildings is like. Right. It's like, but the greatest upbringing, I'm super lucky because I was right on the cusp of, you know, the, the boundary between cultures and and. and it's almost like a poverty line up broad. Well, it's actually it's probably Amsterdam Avenue was that that line. But right. everybody over there, eh, not so good. Everybody over here, wow, you got houses in Connecticut and you got right. a family car and you know we never had a car. Right. You know, growing up, my Jesus, and and now I'm, you know, I'm selling something in the gallery. It's just embarrassing. It's like what my. Is that five years my dad and my dad's annual? Yeah. You know, so so things like that. But then someone said to me, Hey Lenny, come on, get over that. There's kids coming out of high school getting multi year contracts and in the millions. Well So, yeah. you know, I guess you gotta justify the economics, but 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 hey, I'm not that kid and he doesn't remember how my dad used to look coming home just Busting his ass. That's right. For kind of nothing. And I'm know? sure your dad been happy. It was like, you know, we were been so like, happy. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, my mom was always sad. No, I'm saying your dad would be happy though what you're selling for now. Oh my! You'd be like, me? he'd be like, well, good no. work. These guys are spinning. <laughs> They're spinning in the grave. I mean, they've been gone for like 40 years, but. So there's my 12 people, and right. then my guys are also there. You know, they right. come in like. Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. You know, it's yeah. just sort of ghostly figures that I see sometime. And, and my mom is always like giving me a thumbs up or, you know, awesome. like a hug. Yeah. I love that. So, <coughs> whoa, okay. whoa, COVID? No. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> no, jeez. Yeah. Well, we um, got to have fun with it now, that's right? That's right. I and mean, we have please, to laugh please, a little. A little bit. We have to laugh. O- although, a although we're, we're doing that. After acknowledging, you know, absolutely the fucking I mean, horror, right? Absolutely, of, of the whole thing. Okay. I mean, I've had a family member die, so I know, I okay. know what it's like. Yikes. But okay, so now we're into the 21st century. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You decided to lop off the 2000 off your name. I did. It's not Futura 2000 anymore. It's just Futura. It's Futura. Well, in 99, I became Futura. Okay. Because it was clear that I was going to survive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm 44 now. Right. I'm, not, I'm not 15. Right. And I'm like, damn, that went by quick. Right. But I had aligned myself with uh, Lavelle and Mowax in the mid to late 90s. I'm sorry. I don't know who that is. James Lavelle. From oh, okay. A, uh, from a group called Moax, a record company that did a record, many records, that I did artwork for. Got it. And they were setting me up to have a book. Oh, that's right. You were doing a lot of music-related stuff. I did. Stuff, and right. that was right. all through Moax. Yes, that's right. And that culminated that relationship and all the, the, you know, the partnership and collaborations with a book released in 2000, my, my first The Futura book, which I thought was pretty damn prophetic, you know, like considering... Well, here we have arrived, and wow, dude, you have a book, you know, and you should be pretty happy about that. And it's funny, too, because we're going post-millennium, but pre, you know, uh, uh, pre-9-11. So right as 2000 was arriving, I was kind of on top of everything then, right? And it's the reality of what 9-11 did then. You know, it kind of took a good decade out of everything. You know what I mean? Everything yeah. was certainly, in the same way the 80s was short-lived at the end, 2000s were short-lived in the beginning because right. everything just kind of got quashed and 
you know, everybody had to just step back and suddenly your own thing isn't that important. It's kind of the way COVID has, has created everything now. When like, you're trying to do the best you can, but then everyone else is suffering around you and it's not a great time to be like waving your flag and you know, like, hey, look at me. So uh, it took me a while to recover from 9-11 actually. But by then I was doing much better because I started a clothing company. I was working in Japan. I had great uh, relationships now in Japan that mm -hmm. I built since the mid-decade. I discovered the internet in 1996. I, I wrote an extensive webpage that I, that I thought in a way was like me adapting to the web and what it was potentially going to be in the same way I went abstract on subway cars. Because I jumped on the web, I think maybe only Carlos and his brother Randy, Mayor, uh, Mayor and, and Kel first, Randy, the Rodriguez brothers, they were the first guys to actually get online in the mid-90s. and huh. From that scene. From, that, from yeah. the whole graffiti school, if you will. Got it. And there was a global site called Art Crimes, oh, which yeah. may still be there, yeah. run by yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah, I forget who the uh, administrators were for that site. But that was now, that inspired me because someone's like, oh, you know, the internet, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I heard about it, but don't you have to be in college? You know, like I didn't know what it was, right? right? right, right. And then someone's like, no, no, no. And then meanwhile, I was slick enough actually, um, I got a job at Kinko's right there on University Place in like 12th Street mm -hmm. before the 7-Eleven merger, or you know, the old Kinko's. Mm -hmm. And I got a job as a color copy operator. For, I, I was working nights, but we had Macs and PCs and we used to rent time for people. And that's when I discovered Adobe. And I was like, oh wow, Illustrator, Photoshop. So all those 96, seven years when people were just stumbling into whatever was what, I was already back there, I was writing HTML, I didn't like code, and, and I actually took it upon myself to use this, what I called, you know, Facebook stole it, but I was like, wow, this is like a, I swear to God, they stole it. I was like, this is like a virtual wall. <laughs> okay? And even when that whole Facebook thing came about, and I hate them, because of the, you know, there was a kind of eliteness thing that I despised that like, oh, you gotta be part of this crew to do this. And my friend was like, no, no you don't. You can do your own thing over here. Right. You know, you don't right, have to right, go right. into their mall. You can create your own little, totally. you so, know, like a bodega. So that was your first entry. Yeah. And then- Well, it was art crimes. And, right. then, and then my boy's like, well, I'll show you how to write HTML. You just copy the source and then you, you, you take out there. you take out their GIFs and, and JPEGs and you put in your own, you know, so, it took me no time to actually figure that out. And then I felt like, wow, this is cool. Like I learned the language here, kind of. And I exploited it for a few years. You know, I was really out there, you know, um, with propaganda, That's which is basically, you know, it was, it was never, the problem with the web then too was- Wait, it, what propaganda? Well, just just verbal nonsense. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was like, I was no, like no, is no, that no, another no. label? I don't no, know. No, 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 <laughs> like not, no, 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 not at all. Just just to say that like it Got was it. it was Got basically it. me talking about Spewing the 80s. Your stuff. Yep. Yeah, and because now it's 96, right? And seven, eight, nine into the millennium. And there's a young crew that were just arriving right. who maybe didn't even know. That's they right. might've known know. about me from Moax, if that. but they didn't know about me That's right. from the break train. You know, right. so I was trying to fill in the gaps for them. So it makes sense. You're already thinking of your legacy a little bit there and educating yes. people. I've always tried to. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so now, when did you like start showing more regularly then? Because you know, you have a studio in the yeah. 90s. Yes. You know, uh, that, that's, that goes without saying. You have bodies of work, yes. I'm guessing. 
But how did you actually start showing and where were you showing at that time? Well, so we're talking again, around around 2000 now. Yeah, well, 2000 still not so much. Um, I'm trying to think. Because if you think about it, the Wynwood Walls in Miami, the first coming of them was 10 years ago, before Mr. Goldman passed, right. Tony. It wouldn't have been until about 2010 to where I actually start to come back as a painter. Because I had been surviving over time doing, like I said, I had my clothing company, Futura Laboratories, which wasn't really a moneymaker, but it was a kind of a break even -y thing. And yeah, there was a few money. And, and you're one of the first artists to do sort of your own label in that scene. Is that right? I mean, from New York, it was myself, Stash. There was a crew called PNB Nation. But I mean, from the graffiti hardcore crew, I guess, yeah, we were some of the first. But now by 2000, I had kind of gone solo and I'm running my own company. And, you know, yeah, it was profitable. And I could always sell a painting randomly here and there. And, you know, someone might be interested or a drawing. It was always a group show to be a part of. And I had a studio all this time, but the studio wasn't much functional as it was uh, a museum <laughs> for, like, right. all of my stuff. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it wasn't until, honestly, the last two and a half to three years. I'd say not, 17 things began to change because... Oh, wow. Yeah. It took that long. It took that long. It really did. It's amazing. So yeah. what do you think, uh, why do you think, Liner, this happens? I mean, in many ways, you're such a legend, right? Like, everyone knows who you are. Yeah. It's, not, it's not, you know, but why did this happen, you think? Like, what, what were the factors? And I, I just want to have real talk. Sure. Like, you know, it's like, this is not like anything like... I, well, I, I think it's me checking out from the art world, right? Because... I was always skeptical of them, you know, and, and, and here I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back. Um, but it, it, it's kind of like the whole system. It kind of sucks. It does kind of suck. It kind of sucks. And Let's admit it. The thing is, I there's not just a hypocrisy. There's some hypocrisy in there that I don't like. But, you know, the thing is, I think I was always a little bit like, you know, just just shy and gun shy, you know, from, from my whole experience in the 80s. That makes sense. And uh, I can mention Tony Shafrazi, who was a very important gallerist for us all in the early 80s, mid 80s. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? You know, I mean, I've never met Tony. I've only conversed with uh, him a couple of times, like Armenian. online. He is. I know. That's Armenian. funny. I know. I know. And, you know, he's the one who fucking tagged up the Guernica. I know. Right. You know, true. I mean. Uh, but can we talk about him, like, in sure. terms of, like, what, like, when you I mean, say what about, that? what about, like, I mean, forget Banksy throwing something in a museum. Like yeah, Tony went in and, and tagged up on the garden. I mean, yeah. that's like pretty heavy. Is that what got him respect in the graffiti scene? I don't know if it's got him respect, but it's what got him notoriety. Yeah, got him in the door, right? That's right. You yeah. know, and, and and people were digging that because see, I think the thing with Guernica is it's not just Picasso, but it's yeah. what are your whole feelings about that? That's right. Right. So then it becomes another layer into not just like defacing someone's art, but the reason why you defaced it. You know, he had political motivations behind like, well, no, I don't support that. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I think that is how. And and you know what? Tony's still there. I see him commenting on, on Instagram posts and stuff. And so, but when, it, when you say like, because there are these paid, like Fun Gallery was influential. There yes. Like when you say they were doing, like what did they actually do? Because, you know, this is the one of the things in the art world I'd love to get your opinion on. You know, there's so many gatekeepers, yes, right? Yes, Or at least, the, you know, there are tons of gatekeepers. Sure. And maybe they had more power than they do before, but they still have power. Absolutely. Right? Were they the gatekeepers that, like, sanctioned to be like, you know, hey, guys, what you're doing is legit and everyone felt good about it? Like, when you say that they helped, what did they actually do? 
Well, I think what they did was they, you know, uh, now I separate Tony and Patty completely as I would from like Sidney Janis or La Placa or any of those other entities that were somewhat fly by night. Like, right. let's just put up a gallery here. I right. remember there was something over by uh, where the Apple store is now on, on 14th Street. There was some space, uh, graffiti above ground, it might have been called. But to me, it made me sick because it was like people just selling shoes or fish or whatever. Right. You know, it got to a point where no one cared really about the artist. They just once again saw some money in it. And it's like I said before, like, hey, uh, you know, here you go. And then you were supposed to be happy with whatever, you know, and there was no real representation for us other than like a sort of trust factor, which really didn't exist from these people. So all of that, and, and, and let's get back to Tony though for a minute. What happened was, I think, when he began his stable of artists and, you know, there was Donald Batchelor and Catroni and myself and Keith and, and Kenny and Jean-Michel and a couple other individuals, but... By having someone like me in there, mm -hmm. you know, I always felt like I was a token, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, at the time, because here I am, okay, got a list of artists, but you're really the only one from this other thing. You know, you're an outlier. We'll include you in. So when you say you're a token, you're a token street writer? Yes. Got it. Yes. And I didn't see that at first. But then what I saw was, by my, you know, it's like anything else now that I've come to know over the years. Like, you put me in on a show, well, now you can use me to get other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Futura's totally. in. Yep. You want totally. You want to be in the show, Futura's in. Totally, and I totally. didn't even have, I didn't even cast a shadow I cast now that I cast, well, then that I cast now. Right. You know, now I'm a, I'm a get. Because if you right. get me, then you know you got 10 other people who want to be in because I'm right. in. Right, right. Back then... No, not the case, but back then he could sell that to the community. He could sell that. He could have a crazy opening because ah, Lenny's in the show. And a couple of years ago, Lenny was on tour with The Clash. And a couple of years ago, Lenny had a record. You know, all of how they were kind of cap cashing in on it. But the thing is, it didn't translate to putting me into those collections where you were placing all these other people. Interesting. And that's what I realized happened. Like, hmm, you kind of used me. You used me in my moment and you kind of took advantage of, you know, whatever I had that, that came with me, but then there was no real financial reward. And the real kicker was, oh, we sold the painting, you know, this is the, the classic, we sold the painting for 12000 6000 um, but then there was a $2,400 material cost, and then the blah, they itemized the shit down where I got like a buck fifty, And so that, I was like, okay, yeah. That's it. I'm it's done. It's not going to work. Yeah. And then, oh, Semaphore 85. Uh, Lenny, you know, another guy. I think William, I forget who he was. Very nice guy. He had a gallery over in the East Village, too. It's Semaphore East, Semaphore West. Uh, Robert, Richard, whoever. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, Lenny, blah, blah, blah. And that was great. You know, it was like a, I had my own show. He was fully supportive. He actually sold a couple of paintings before the show. But then the review, and then it was like, okay, that's it. You know, like, I just, I can't, I can't. And I, I was actually asking myself, like, why? Why am I, you know, like, I don't want that. You know, like, the thing is, like, even today, I have no, it sounds crazy, but, and not like I have no ambition, but there's, like, nothing I want. You know, I don't want anything, right? It's a good place to be. I just want to wake up, right? And, you know, I mean, years ago, I used to say, you know, I just want to wake up and tell people to fuck off. And just let me live my life, right? And and now I've got myself to this part where, man, I got a, I've created a pretty cool job for myself, 
to where I am very free. The music this episode is Lara Sarkisian's A House is a Being, which is from the Grief into Rage, a compilation for Beirut album, which was recently released to help raise funds for victims of the Beirut blast last August. I'm sending love to those who continue to grapple with that horrific event. I know we're all still waiting for answers. Let's hope we get them soon. I'm Hrag Vartanian, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.